Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. It's hunting season, right? And we're pretty excited about what we just had happen the other day and uh but i don't think we're exactly going to talk much about hunting season no all right we uh, uh yeah see. the only reason we're excited for this is williams made me i i kind of internet scouted a little spot and then we went and checked it out in the truck and come across a nice buck as we like shortly after we got out of the truck so we set up a camera and uh he's made me wait <laughs> yesterday and today before i could view the pictures because he wants to see him on the damn tv screen yeah he, so, wants, to, he wants to see them all together <laughs> can you see my uh, can you see my screen jordan yeah okay so i'm gonna we're all gonna look at this together that's either gonna be a big letdown that's pictures of us i can tell you that off the well, bat good. yeah that yeah yeah i had a shotgun i'm like i don't think that's me <laughs> we're squirrel hunting and we were just yeah. meandering yeah Y'all didn't kill no squirrel? Oh, Jordan shot a squirrel. Jordan, me and Jordan. Jordan, me and Jordan. I mean, that thing took a bunch of pictures of us wandering around in front of it. I kind of had a feeling this was going to be what it was. And that's me. Nothing but. Came straight from work there, by the way. You look fancy in that that little get-up you got going on. Yeah, well, I work in an office, so I kind of had to be. That's it, huh? That must suck. Yeah. That's a big letdown. So yeah, much pictures of y'all. That it's sucked. Fun. It's right on a scrape too. I kind of felt like. Well, I mean, we check it again. Uh, so we we got out there Sunday. Give him no time to come back. Sunday afternoon. You blew him out. Now you could give him a little time to come back. Oh, he came back. He okay. just didn't come all the way over the camera. Yeah, there wasn't no blowing him out. He didn't run off scared. He, he just yeah. scraped a little bit further down. Uh, <laughs> but as we were walking in, and it wasn't really. Uh, a deer scouting mission it was a hey let's go let's walk down here and look at this wet spot so we wandered down there and uh, as we're walking down the trail little doe maybe 60 70 pounds standing on the side of the road and i said jordan look there's a deer so he kind of leans out and look to look around the curve because i'm standing on the outside of the curve and uh as soon as he leans over here comes mama out behind it a little further down the road she's good 120 pounds and then they, you go off into bushes on the left-hand side of the road. Get a little further down, and I hear him grunting, and out he steps. At least an eight-point. Nice eight-point. Outside the ears. I said, holy shit. <laughs> Mind you, it's bow season, so had I had my bow. Oh, How you been doing? 
I'm good. I've been fishing. Yeah, I see that. I've been seeing the pictures. Yeah, I was going to say, I've seen you. Uh, <laughs> you've been tearing up the triple tail. Yeah, we had a pretty good little last run there before they started getting out of here. There's still a few around, but not many. But the trout and redfish has been great. Good deal. Did you, uh, did you end up getting biggest in that little tournament? or? No, not yet. It ain't over. We got till the uh, 31st of October, but uh, some guy kicked me out with a 32-inch triple tail. He called it out of Louisiana. Good Jesus. Lord. Yeah, it's a big one. Um, I know where a couple giants are, are lurking and hanging out. I got broke off the other day with probably a 30-plus inch. Um, I'm just waiting on the right weather to go back and get after. Jesus. So in here tonight, I'm going to go ahead and introduce everybody before we get too far into it. We got me, Jordan Krebs. Will. Your host, Will. Yeah, host, Will. My dad, Bill. And uh, Briar. And then we have Jordan Todd of Saltwater Obsessions. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Jordan, tell us what is saltwater obsessions what do you do anything that revolves saltwater man from fishing to duck hunting to crabbing to whatever living on the saltwater is is my life pretty much born and raised in it so how'd you get started in it i mean started in your your business and everything um well i've, I've like i said born and raised on the water my family's fifth generation in this area always lived off the water uh, I took to fishing at a real, real early age, <clears throat> whether it was just with family or a good way to get away and get my mind off, you know, other things involved with life and just kind of always knew I wanted to do something in the fishing world. Um, watched a ton of fishing shows on TV and I always wanted to be involved in something like that. So I, uh, <clears throat> I would have started guiding, which I kind of did not exactly legally, um, <clears throat> in high school and out, you know, right outside of high school. But then I went off to college, promised my mom and grandma I'd go get a degree. So went and got a marine biology degree and then came back and told them I, I'm going to be a fishing guide and, uh, kind of had a five year plan. If it didn't work out in five years, I'd go do something else. And it's, uh, I'm on my 11th season now and been very blessed along the way. You don't have your number one fishing buddy there with you right now? Yeah, he's laying down right below me. He's, when he heard me say, he started talking, he started growling, thinking he thought somebody was in the house. <laughs> yeah, he's he's on the floor right here. Now, it, it, it would seem to be you've been pretty successful at your, your business. I've heard a lot about you. I haven't had the opportunity to fish with you yet. In fact, I haven't had the opportunity to even get up there and see that beautiful country you're fishing in up there, but... It's, uh, you better get here quick. It's changing. Yeah, it's changing everywhere. Yeah, it's changing. That, all the small little coastal towns, man, people have found them. They are flocking to them. That, it's getting developed uh, real big? Yeah, you know, just the rental houses and stuff like that. They're just putting more and more up. It's, <clears throat> it's good for business, you know, people coming, but it's changed a lot since growing up here. But. Uh, you know, it's still special, still still beautiful, and right now the fishing's still pretty good. So what gave you the, I'd say, I don't think idea is the right word, but I guess the, the, the original drive to say, you know what, I'm going to be a fishing guide, fishing captain? Well, um, 
you know, just growing up fishing. I mean, I fished a lot. Uh, I, I literally could walk out my back door and be in a lagoon catching redfish and flounder and stuff like that. So I just kind of dove into it as a kid and, and absorbed. And I just loved watching and paying attention and just kind of observing everything that was going on. Um, and, you know, and then what kind of really sparked me, I was 13 years old. <clears throat> I was working in a raw bar shucking oysters. Some guy was standing in front of me or sitting in front of me just complaining about, man, I've come here so many times to book the guy and all I want to do is catch a redfish and can't catch a redfish, da da da. And I ain't paying, never paying, you know, somebody again. I was like, sir, I'll take you to catch a redfish. He's like, son, you can't even drive. I was like, well, if you want to catch a redfish, I'll take you. <laughs> and, uh, I convinced him to meet me at the house the next morning at seven in the morning. Told my mom, some guy's going to pull up here and I'm going to take him fishing. And, uh, we walked out back on the dock and had a little wooden John boat with a five horse on it. He's like, man, I'm not fishing in that thing. You know, I was like, sir, sir if you want to catch a redfish, get in the boat. And we caught 41 redfish before 12 o'clock. <laughs> and he handed me 200 bucks he said that's the best fishing trip i've ever been on and right then i'm like yep i think i know what i want to do <laughs> and i just it just stuck with me man you know i still love catching them but watching somebody else catch one you know either a big fish or red fish for the first time or something man i just it just there's something about it just gets me going you know i get super excited for them knowing that i was the guy who allowed them to do that. So it's just, it's just been a passion since then. That's understandable. That's, that's a hell of a start for sure. Right. Well, back way. then, man, you could, you could just about fall in the water and catch a redfish here. Well, why ago. wasn't he catching them with everybody else? I don't know. He, he wasn't going to the right guy at the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> I handed him a, you know, a Cajun thunder popping cork and a DOA shrimp. I said, here, and it was about as fast as he could reel them in. Now, here's my question. Did you take him to your honey hole at that time? Or did you just take him to a Well, no, I mean, every, every, everywhere was a honey hole back then, man. Especially in the little place I grew up. You know, right time of year. It was in the fall. Right time of year. Just, you know. And it probably just everything aligned just right for that day, you know. Yeah, so it worked I've learned, out just perfect for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, it did, but I've learned it don't happen like that every day. I mean, it's, <laughs> as you know, it's, it's, there's stretches where we'll go every guy, but you know, we'll go. I'll go a week where it's just I'm getting my brains beat in. You know, can't find them, can't get on them. I should have turned right when I turned left. You know, all these things, and, but uh, it's still fun, man. I just seeing the excitement on people's faces is is, is what I love. Now, didn't you tournament fish for a while too? I did, man. I did. I, you know, I played competitive <clears throat> football and baseball in high school and college. And so I got into tournaments early because of that competitive drive, like beating people and com competing. It was fun, but I learned quick. Tournaments are ruthless, man. You lose friends, you gain friends, you enemies, guys that hate you, guys that spread rumors about you, you know, it's, I, I had fun. I won a couple. Was fortunate enough to win some big ones. And uh, but when they told me I couldn't bring my dog anymore to fish tournaments, I told them I quit. 
people putting yeah, weights when it, when it got to the point they're like <laughs> you can't bring a dog on the boat for a redfish tournament i was like i, I don't need this anymore <laughs> <laughs> it's getting too serious yeah i was just like what's what's a hundred pound lab on the boat like how's that giving me an advantage or whatever so they, they I just, was I was done right then. They Dog just, sniffing out the redfish. <laughs> I guess that's what they thought. <laughs> oh man, what do you think about them them walleye tournament guys stuffing weights down the fish? Idiots! I hope they rot in jail. <laughs> <laughs> they're facing felony charges. Aren't they? As they, yeah, they as, will. I mean, they, they're gonna. Well, the weights is one thing, but when they found fillets, uh, other fish fillets in their bellies, that's that's a. I mean, they were killing li- illegal fish already. To stuff in big fish, that's they're they're going to get in a world of hurt, and well, they should. On, on top of that, if they can link, because evidently, from what I understand now, what I've heard is that they failed to polygraph from a tournament they won before that. Yeah, and if they took money, they failed to polygraph from a tournament that they won and won a boat out of. Mm. Yeah, so if you, you and know, they still gave them the boat. Yeah, their lawyer got them out of uh, got them out of it and got them the boat. They should throw the lawyer in jail too. <laughs> Sounds like you have to get that lawyer. Well, there's back probably on the a phone. lot of those that be should be thrown in jail. But yeah, oh yeah, that's man, a whole other subject. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another reason why I got out of tournaments, man. The guys who are always accusing others of cheating are usually the ones to do them. It's uh, that's that's pretty rough. I, I, I don't know, man. You, I don't know you how win, they got away with lose. it. I don't know how they got away with it as long as they did. An eight ounce sinker. I mean that's you can you can pick up a fish and feel that something ain't right with that. Now the question <laughs> is is were they always that egregious with their cheating? It's it's pretty obvious I do yeah. believe now it's come out that they were they had been cheating for some time. The question is is were they always that egregious putting eight ounce weights? That's a half a pound of lead. Yeah. Inside yeah, I, the fish. And, and I two don't and know. three I, to boot from what it looked like when they were cutting them open. There was more than one yeah. one lead in those fish. Yeah. I, I think they probably got carried away and were getting a little more egregious, like you said. They got away with you know, it going once, a little bit twice. bigger. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say we so. touched on it last week, and I, I, I was like, it's anybody who's fished enough can look at like a five pound fish and say, eh, that's uh, that's probably not a seven pound fish. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can tell. I mean, you know, there's some fish that the bellies sag a little bit, but bulging out like those were you i mean you, you gotta you gotta know they must have been paying off the judges or something to get away with it as much <laughs> as they were you know there's i've seen in redfish you know i've seen guys clip redfish tails with scissors you know you look at it you know people that like like jordan said you fish enough you look at fish enough you can tell when one's been so what's know, the clipping do keep them within slot Yep. So guys, you know, the redfish deal is it's got to be in the slot 27. The tip of that tail cannot touch the 27 inch line. And so, but you got to have, you know, typically the biggest fish in the slot weighs the most. So there's guys that'll take little shears and just snip enough of the tip of the tail to where it won't touch. Um, I know guys that, you know, broke off jig heads and the fish swallowed the jig head but he stayed alive, you know, it's, it's Jeez. little things like that. You, yeah. It's dirty, dirty pool. It's all, yeah, it's all dirty, but I don't know. I, I'd say in any competitive sport, 
period, across the board. There'll always be somebody tries to cheat. Yeah, somebody's going to yeah. cheat. Always. Yep. Yeah. When there's money, especially when money's involved. When oh, money's absolutely. on the line. Yeah, that much money. Will, oh, man, yeah. 20 wonder, grand, 100 grand. Guys wonder, lose their sense, man. I wonder what Bassmasters are going to be doing now. Because they give oh, them God. polygraphs, too. There's going to be so many memes. <laughs> there already is. Yeah, yeah but come come to them big bass tournaments next year. There'll be a ton of them. Oh Lord. Uh, so you know, <laughs> I, I fished with you a few times, and I know that I, you're probably the smartest uh, guy <laughs> I've ever fished with. You know what I mean? Easy like now. when it comes Easy to now. well, yeah, I'm talking about when it comes to knowledge of uh, of you know the way the water works and everything. But exactly how much does your your marine biology degree play into into <clears throat> fishing um it helped a little bit as far as like water movements um tides moons and stuff like that i had a oceanography class that kind of taught me that type of deal especially <clears throat> when when weather and winds are affecting certain things stuff like that uh but as far as like fish movements and fish biting I wouldn't say a whole lot. I would say more of that just time on the water, paying attention. You know, it, the the education kind of taught me what to pay attention to, you know, fish behavior, stuff like that, to really learn and, and kind of soak in what the fish should be doing or, or might be doing. Um, it did help me a lot on, you know, studying the big fish like you know how i'm pretty pretty uh adamant about throwing big triple tail big trout stuff like that back you know don't let people keep big ones that the education side taught me you know kind of how to pay attention to when fish are spawning what they're doing you know things of that sort so i kind of know like hey we're not going to keep this fish because in a couple weeks it's going to start spawning and we need those eggs Stuff like that. But as, as far as being able to catch fish, that's just time on the water, man. Spending way too much damn time out there. <laughs> so the reason we have slots in salt water versus, you know, a lot of freshwater fish, there'd be a minimum size you have to, you, you would have to have meat in order to keep a fish sometimes, but you don't very often, at least down here in Florida, see a maximum size limit on fish. But the reason the way it is in salt water is because <laughs> the bigger female fish produce more eggs. Yes, absolutely. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like deer or mammals to where the older they get, the less reproductive success they have, um, or, or productivity or whatever word you want to use for that. Um, fish, the older they get, the larger they get, the more eggs they make. Um, they also like some species like trout, once they reach a certain size, they can have more eggs, but they can have two broods a year, you know, spring and a fall depending on water temperature. Um, but, you know, triple tail, redfish, I mean, snapper, all of them, the bigger fish yield more eggs. Um, and I, in my opinion, every species of fish should have an upper slot limit. Every one of them. I have a personal one on my boat, but I think the government should make an upper slot limit for every species, other than like pelagics, like tuna, you know, mahi things that migrate you know thousands of miles that aren't really spawning in our areas you know they're they're just passing through they're not they're not you're going to get a different 
group of fish all year or every year. But your snappers, your groupers, your redfish, your trout, the fish that are habitually coming to the same areas, same zones every year, same group of fish, those are the ones that like the, the bigger fish need to need to live. We really got to protect the populations of fish we have left with the water quality issues we face along our coast due to Absolutely. A number of reasons, not just one. I'll say uh, I know if you if you follow Jordan on social media or anything, he's a huge uh, advocate of clean water. Right. As yes. We all should clean water's everything. I mean Florida is water. That's everything about Florida revolves around water. And especially salt water. Everything that happens in Florida flows to some body of salt water. And if the water gets dirty, just like down south Everglades, up here, Apalachicola, you know, anywhere, you can look at any area in the state of Florida and their water issues. But everything flows into the water. You start changing the water quality, you start killing your grasses, your oyster beds, your clam beds. And those are your base species that everything thrives off of. Everything. Those filter feeders, your grasses, your bivalves, things like that. If that all dies, everything else dies afterwards. What do you think? And that's Hurricane what we're all Ian, seeing now. What do you think Hurricane Ian is going to do to the fishing down south? It's going to, it's going to, well, for one, it's going to clean out all the crap that has been settling in Charlotte Harbor Bays and, and, you know, Port Charlotte and Port Myers and all that. Well, it's just like it out of Tampa Bay. From yeah, I would say Tampa Bay was about dry. <laughs> Tampa Bay was. We dry. had a, we had a negative foot up here, um, you know, in September, which is weird. But uh, Tampa Bay got all their nasty water sucked out. What came back was beautiful, clean, salt water. Um, the big thing, what I think down south is, is, you know, the Everglades have been choked to fresh water because of the Okeechobee and the, and the sugar industry pumping it left and right or east and west. All this rain, all that flooding that has now hit southwest Florida is all going to flow down through the Everglades, and that's going to help the Everglades. You know, I'm sorry people got things destroyed, just like here in Michael. You build a house on the on the beach, you're going to get hit by a hurricane. <laughs> I mean, that's just – it's going to happen at some point, you yeah, know. Suck it up when it does. Yep. Don't build that close to the water. Have know? good insurance. That too, if you can get it. But I'm sorry <laughs> all those people got hurt, you know, or lost their things. I'm, I'm going to hopefully head down in a couple weeks and help them out, but – you know, hurricanes are great for the ecosystems. They they clean things up. They it's like a forest fire. They wipe the slate clean, and what comes back is is way healthier and, and what it should be for a short period of time anyway. And I I may be wrong, but I I feel like one of our largest problems with the water getting dirty that'll never go away is uh our mass population. You get yep. these people, especially down south, that that they build all these subdivisions because South Florida is pretty much just a huge swamp. They build all these that. subdivisions. They put all these canals through and everything, and the people go and fertilize the piss out of their yards, and then all that water flows, you know, from their yard to their drainage ditch, and then eventually somehow makes it back into our water system. It's got all the yeah, well, it goes into those that. canals. Yep. all those all South Florida they build all those canals for people to have their boats in. If you look at every one of those canals, they're always tannic and dirty. Mm-hmm. Always. And all that stuff flows right into a bay, just flows right out into the Gulf. 
Um, you know, we're seeing it here now. All the development, every time someone clears a lot of all the vegetation, your pine trees, your palm trees, your grasses, that's all your filtration for your runoff, your rain. You know, it all floods through that. It filters, and what, what fresh water does hit the bay is clean. Every time they wipe all that out and fill it in with a bunch of dirt and then a, a fertilized yard, now that runoff goes straight over that, collects all that dirt and fertilizer and flows right into the bay full of nutrients. And we're seeing massive grass kills in the last two years. And it's that's going to happen everywhere. Anywhere there's development around a natural body of water, you're going to see changes. Not Not good either. So on a lighter note, I was actually down in the Fort Myers area the week after Hurricane Ian, uh, working down there. And, uh, I was talking to a gentleman who lived on the, just across the street from the beach, right? They went from zero to eight feet of water in about two hours. And, uh, he's there kind of cleaning up what's left of the area around his condo or house, uh, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and, um, uh, I was talking to him. I said, you know, can, can I get you anything, get you some water or something like that? And he says, no, I'd really just like to find my boat. He said, I searched <laughs> for like 12 hours for it yesterday. He said, I have no idea where it went. So I figured it went off that oh. way somewhere. He said, but uh, the good news is I got a brand new Porsche. And I said, what? We walked around the back of his house and he pointed to a Porsche that had been washed over the seawall and was just laying in the water behind his house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, that but thing I, won't ever crank again. Yeah, it got I a said, new Porsche though. Yeah, it got a new Porsche though. <laughs> there you go. That's what I, was, I was telling Briar. I, I'm waiting for all these salvage motors to hit the market so I can get me a nice ninety tiller for the back of my boat. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of lot of good deals if you're willing to take a chance on some things. Yeah, I saw a, a nice uh, a Grady White with twin two fifties sitting between houses. Hey, Jordan uh, needs one of them 250s. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pontoon boats in the middle of the street. Oh, uh, yeah. You, you name it. But, yeah, I had some. My buddy started sending me videos and stuff, and they're like, man, you can't imagine this. I'm like, yeah. No, man, I, I actually, I can. You know, when I'm I, sorry. Yeah. When I, when Four I, years ago, that's exactly what my yard looked like. You know, it's, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm going to help out as much as I can, but that's, for one instance, when you say, I can't imagine. No, I can imagine. I, yeah. I, we went through it. I, I had PTSD watching the videos, you know, people driving boats in water and stuff like that and helping people. It's, if you live here long enough, you're going to have to deal with it. When uh, when I went down there, the Peace River was so high, it didn't look like you could barely fit a John boat underneath the bridge. Mm. So, there's still areas flooded down there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, a lot there's of those still areas are... flooded up here. The St. John's is still. I I talked to a guy last week, and um, he's a good ways off the river, and the rivers. He said, he said it's at my back door. He said and it's still coming up. Mm. So it, and he's a good ways off the river. I was gonna say you gotta think that... about it. All this water that's draining from these flooded areas still has to go somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Well, yep. the, the St. John's is pushing water from south up to here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be think, a while. Yeah, I always, always forget St. John's flows north. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a while for it goes down because there's there's a lot of water on the ground down there. But well, we just got our first little bit of rain in a month up here. We ain't been ready. we needed we, some. We ain't been able to get rid of rain till after the hurricane. 
It's been fairly dry. It rained for the first time since the hurricane today. Yesterday. Yeah. Today. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we had a little bit last night and some this morning before my trip. We needed it. Yeah, we were getting pretty crispy up here. Good cold front pushing in right now. So yeah. hopefully it stays that yep, way. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm re- I got a two more, th- three more weeks of fishing, and it's it's time to kill some stuff. So how many, how often do you guide uh, duck hunting trips up there? Not much anymore. Um, I've got a few clients who still, you know, come down for a blasting cast every year. I might, I might do two or three during duck season. Um, we got to where our, you know, ducks were so inconsistent down here. It was just hard to, you know, tell people, Hey, come on down. We'll sit in the blind for two hours. We might see one. We might not, you know, it's just, I kind of got out of it. You know, I'll, I'll go do it for fun. I'll take a couple guys here and there, but I don't, I don't really advertise or do much more guiding anymore. Um, used to do a little guiding in Arkansas, but, I kind of, I get, I'm burnt out on dealing with folks after nine straight months of fishing. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of saved the hunt now just for, you know, for me and buddies and stuff. So what kind of ducks Let are you my, hunting up there? Sea ducks, divers, sea ducks. redheads, bluebills, uh, a lot of buffalo heads. Every now and then we'll see some uh, canvas backs, stuff like that. But uh, yeah, mostly redheads. We've got wood ducks and, you know, you get off in the marsh or the Appalachian River, you kill some teals and gadwalls, stuff like that every now and then. But it's got to get pretty damn cold for us to start seeing them. From what the Farmer's Almanac is saying, it's supposed to be a cold, wet winter. I hope so. I don't want wet, but I hope it is ball-busting cold. I love it for two months. Oh, I'm looking forward <laughs> yeah. to it for sure. Two months. I want, I want it freezing cold for two months, and then it can be... 85 again you know i'm all about it being freezing cold outside and i love it when it's cold uh during hunting season and then when hunting season's yep. over once that's over i'm like up. all right well this cold stuff's nice but i don't have any reason for it to really be cold anymore exactly <laughs> so go ahead and warm back up a little bit I'm, just, I'm the same way two months of cold let me kill my stuff warm back up let me fish again the problem is as soon as we start thinking that that's it it, it skips warm and just goes right back to blistering hot yeah yeah, <laughs> we don't get warm and cool we get decent cold and hot yeah uh, i've always said florida has uh two seasons uh summer and hurricane season yeah <laughs> yeah that's about right we've actually this october man so far it's been it's been beautiful we've had you know 60s mid 60s and in, in the mornings and then 78 80 degrees low humidity in the afternoons it's been really for about the last two weeks it's been absolutely gorgeous well hopefully we can get to stay that way i'll, I'll say, say it ain't I'm, been quite that great for us but it's yeah. been good yeah it just started warming up a little bit but i mean we had that little that little snap of coolness we had i don't want to say cold but coolness i don't tell it, you uh, what that it was it was nice after hurricane ian come through and i heard it said that uh the florida weather went from 80 to 65 like i saw a state trooper yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i saw that meme. Yeah. i didn't see that meme. Yeah. it was crazy we were talking to uh our other co-host last week and he was like he had left he evacuated for the hurricane and he was like that post-hurricane mugginess is awful and miriam like, Breyer what? were like no, it was great. Yeah, it was cold, man. It was cold. I'm, I'm thankful we had it. Yeah, it was yeah. cool. Yeah, heck yeah, it's it sucked all the humidity out of here for us. 
It's it funny because nice. Jim didn't want to deal with not having power, so he left and just to avoid not having power, and then he never lost power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> neither did neither did I. Jordan did. Briar didn't. I did. Nope, I, I kept power. Yeah. We got lucky. We were two days without power, but thank God it was cool out. So. Yeah. I had. Power, yeah, we did. We, we off. after Michael, we were only we only did nine days without power. Well, only nine I know days. some folks. We were yeah. nine yeah, days that, after Irma without power. Man, I'm 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 good without power. I spend shit. I spend nine days in the mountains without power or heat, anything like that. So <laughs> for nine days, two weeks, I'm good. If it you know if it went on for a month, I'd I'd be getting a little a little irritated. Yeah, y'all look like you had a pretty good time on y'all count this year. It was awesome, man. My buddy shot a a big, beautiful six by seven second day of the season. You know, just happened to walk into a head, 50 head of elk and two bulls stood up at 20 yards and he shot the biggest one. Jeez. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know how you get that lucky. I hiked almost 70 miles in three weeks and still didn't get that lucky. (laughs) But, But we had some, I had some good, some unbelievable close calls, had two big bulls, one at 40 yards and needed three more steps to the left and would have had a perfect 40 yard broadside shot never did never gave me the chance stood at about 75 yards for 15 minutes looking at me and i could have shot him with a rifle six times <laughs> um and then had another big six by six with about 30 cows bugling his head off and raking trees and just challenging the hell out of me and we were challenging back and calling and he would not leave his cows and wouldn't come close we finally i tried to sneak in and of course, you can't do that with cows. They, they get you every time. It's like a damn nanny nanny doe that smells yeah. from four miles away and blows eighteen times, and lets the whole woods know you're there. But uh, now, it was fun, man. I loved it. Saw a bunch of elk, bunch of mule deer, shot some grouse, and had a good time. Now I'm looking behind you here, and I see looks like fly rods up there on the ceiling, right? Yeah. What I don't is know your, where this camera is. I'm at, yeah, I'm in my man cave. That's fly rods there. I got ducks over there. there. A bunch of dead stuff on the walls. So what's you your preferred my... method of uh, fishing? Because, um, you know, I, I, we've had some, some uh, saltwater fly fishing guys in here, and uh, fly fishing can become a bit of a cult. It, for it lack can. of better I terms. Know, I'm... I'm not a fly or die guy. I'm not. If if the conditions are right for it and we can throw a fly rod and catch them, I'll do it. We'll do it. That's fine. If it's a little breezy, put the damn thing down and grab a spinning rod. <laughs> I am I am not a fly or die kind of guy. You know, if, if you're going to sit there and worry about line tangling around your feet, blowing off the boat, just put the sumbits down and grab a spinning rod. <laughs> so i enjoy it's really it, it it's a lot of fun when the conditions are right it's so it's like bow hunting it's a challenge it's, everything's got to go a little bit you know not a little bit a lot of bit right you know especially when it comes to like tarpon fishing or something like that red fishing reds are a little more forgiving with fly fishing but uh no man if it's you know, if conditions aren't exactly right, I'm going to throw a spinning rod and catch them. It's just as much fun throwing a spinning rod as a fly rod, watching them eat. 
there's something something in the how methodical that fly fishing is that becomes relaxing or entertaining even if the fish aren't biting it yeah me, if, if yeah. the conditions are right and you're not fighting everything it can be peaceful it's, it's beautiful to watch if you got yeah. a guy like me i love watching a guy who's a very good caster very smooth fluid caster on the bow it's beautiful to watch you know it's it's a lot you know there's not a whole lot of sound like that spinning rod you get a whip to it and big bloop sound of the lure hitting the water but watching a guy you know who knows what he's doing on the bow with a fly rod is is pretty to watch it's uh peaceful peaceful yeah yeah except tarpon fishing there's oh there's nothing peace there's nothing peaceful about tarpon fishing with a fly rod (laughs) nothing at all now why is that what what set tarpon what sets tarpon fishing with a fly rod so far apart from everything else you're trying to you're trying to feed 150 pound fish something that big that big (laughs) (laughs) and you've got to get it in its face at the right time while you're looking at this giant fish swimming at you you know it's it's nerve wracking. it's like watching 160 inch deer you got to shoot with a bow coming into bow range your heart's racing you think this might be it this might happen you know, but it seems like it takes an hour when it only takes 30 seconds. You know, it's, it's one of those types of deal. It just, it's the adrenaline rush, everything. And then they, you know, you may get the fly perfectly where it's supposed to be a hundred times and 99 of them say, you know, screw off. I don't want it. You know, so it's. So they're just a real picky fish. At times. Yeah. They're, they're just finicky. They, they, they want what they want, when they want it. It's kind of like a woman. You know, you can do everything <laughs> right and still get denied. And that one time, it happens. And it's, it's all awesome. about the presentation. That's right. <laughs> all about the presentation. But it's it can be, it's a lot of fun. It's a big adrenaline rush, but it's, it can be frustrating. You can't just whip it out there. You got to lay it out all nice and delicate like. You got to <laughs> lay it out there. There. It, it is it is funny, man. They're, hundred, they're humongous fish, and they're scared to death of everything. Their own shadows, everything scares them. Well, that's because after you fight them for about 30 minutes, a big old shark comes up and grabs them. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> nowadays, there's usually a, a big toothy critter lurking around. Now, what's your favorite species of fish to guide for? Redfish. Hands down, redfish. Why is that? I'll ne- I will never get tired of catching them. Why is that? You catch them in a hundred different scenarios, a hundred different baits. They'll eat anything. You know, you catch them in deep water, super shallow water. They fight, you know, super good pullers. And when they get hungry, they eat everything. It's just, they're just a cool fish, man. It's really the fish that sparked everything that really got my interest and my passion going for fishing and guiding. <clears throat> and you just, there's so many different ways to catch them in different places to catch them. It's, it's pretty cool, but I do, I like switching it up with the seasons, you know? So when tarpon season rolls around, my mind will focus more toward tarpon, you know, and, and, and looking at conditions of tarpon, you know, what conditions are right for the tarpon. Not really worried about redfish, but 
And then Cobia season, I love trying to go, you know, find a Cobia and stuff like that. But I will, I will never get tired of catching redfish. How much do the seasons differ, say, from South Florida up to there in the Panhandle for for tarpon, for redfish? I mean, I, I know there's really not a season for redfish, but I know there is more for tarpon. But Yeah, so, you know, South Florida, basically Tampa Bay South will have tarpon all year long. All year long. Um, whether it's juveniles, they'll have some big ones that hang around. But they'll have tarpon all year. The Keys especially have tarpon. 365 days. Um, not the big, massive schools, but they have tarpon all year. We don't. We get tarpon from about the beginning of May, depending on water temp, to right now, to about mid-October, depending on water temp. So it's so, more, mainly water temp. Water temp, yeah. yeah. When, it gets, when it starts getting cold, the tarpon, the big tarpon, they migrate. They either go way, way offshore and deep or – most of them migrate up into springs, freshwater springs, where the water temp is going to stay roughly 72 degrees. Um, so we we don't start getting them until the waters start warming up. They start their migration to come up here to, to do their spawning deal. Um, so we get a short period of time of the year to, to target them when South Florida can catch them, you know, pretty much all year long. And then redfish is, they're everywhere all the time. From the Keys to, you know, North Carolina to Texas, there you can catch them 365 days, rain, sleet, sunshine. It doesn't matter. Well, shoot, they you can catch and, them somewhere. Go out and bowfish for them in Louisiana. Yeah, them people are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> they kill it. They, I love them. I love them Cajuns. I love going out there. But man, they they are straight killers. They kill every single thing. If it bites that hook, it dies. <laughs> yeah. Boudin. Yeah. Oh yeah. They don't. They don't know about throwing them back. They. Uh, I go out there. I've been with one guy out there before. Um, the rest of the time it's just for fun. But we were catching. Them. I kept throwing them back. And he's like, "Boy, you're crazy." Like, we don't throw nothing back here. I'm like, "Yeah, I know. I'm gonna let some of these things live." It's like uh, old Jerry Clower used to say, I, fil- I fillet them and then I release them. <laughs> yeah. We were down in Jupiter a couple of months ago staying in the, the guy next door. He says, he says our, our, our motto here in Jupiter, he says, is we fillet and release. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, some of that, a lot of that's changing around here now. We're, we got to get out of that old school mentality of that it's an endless resource because as we're seeing all over the state with the amount of people and pressure and water conditions, it is not an endless resource. It is, it is dwindling some areas more than others, but it is dwindling pretty quick. And, uh, we got to start practicing some, some better releasing methods. Um, you know, I'm all for eating them. I mean, I eat fish a lot. I, I kill them every day for clients, but it's it's more of get enough for a good meal and throw the throw the rest back. Let's not freeze them. We're not killing them to freeze. Well, the last few times we were up there, there was no shortage of FWC officers at the boat ramp at Port St. Joe Bay. <laughs> no, sir. They but the problem is now is that that's where they sit. They don't. They're not on the water patrolling. Yeah. So a lot of these old timers, they know that they'll drive up to a dock somewhere and offload them, and then go pull the boat out. 
You know, they're they're getting they're getting smart. FWC's lost their uh, their funding to for fuel to patrol every day, and so they have a per diem where they can patrol one day a week. And the rest of the time, they have to sit at the boat ramps, and, and guys are figuring it out. Now, but I, I wish they'd patrol every day. I welcome stop everybody. I got some questions for you. We talk about catch and release fish, and I don't know that we've ever talked about. Maybe you can probably do a much better justice at explaining it than any of us can, but how to properly handle and release different species of fish. Well, you know, like redfish are hardy. I mean, they're tough, tough as nails. Um, You can kind of handle them any way you want. You know, you don't want to, squeeze them real tight you don't want to jab your fingers up in their gills too much there's a you know a little spot where you can kind of get in there and a little finger hold uh the biggest problem is the big fish like your big giant trout you know even your big bull reds um your uh the big triple tail when you're holding them and you see you know and i still catch myself doing it those fish grippers Yep. And they hold them by the lips and everyone's holding them straight up and down vertical. So the fish's anatomy, their diaphragm, when their guts are hanging, you know, they're used to being in water and that, that buoyancy in the water is supporting all of that. So when you pull them out of the water and hang them perfectly vertical, their diaphragm is not designed to hold that kind of weight. And so your big fish, your big egg, egg bearing, especially when they're full of eggs, when you have them suspended vertical by their lip, all that pressure and weight is, is pulling at their guts. And a lot of times it'll, it'll pull, separate their guts from their diaphragm. Um, and then basically when you release them, they, they're so disoriented and, you know, something's not right. They'll just go to the bottom and turn upside down and end up dying. So my, I try to say, or, you know, and I still get caught doing it because people don't want to touch fish. They've, a lot of people just don't want to hold a fish and support it horizontal. Um, so I get caught doing the fish grip thing for a picture too, but try to remember the big fish, especially if it's got a big bulging gut, you want to support it perfectly horizontal, you know, two hands, wherever my camera's at. You want to hold it across your two hands and not by the, the lips, you know, dangling straight up and down. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like tarpon, you know, they, the, the new law now is anything over 40 inches, you can't even pull out of the water because so many people were holding them by the lips, pulling them all the way out that their diaphragms were, were literally ripping. And then when you put them back in the water, they couldn't breathe, you know, or, or get their guts right. And they would sink to the bottom and die. It's just like a dog, you know, a dog with his stomach will turn over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You ever had that where a dog's stomach will turn over and they'll get sick? Some of them will die from it. It's the same concept with fish. Um, so that's the best way to handle them. You know, trout, try to keep your hands wet. If you're going to release them, you don't want to wipe all that slime off. Um, 75% of trout die anyway as soon as you hook them. That's just the way that they, they're pretty puny fish. They don't really live very well anyway. But, uh, you know, best things, big fish, just support them horizontal. Don't hang them straight up and down. So I got a question for you. We, we've kind of talked some about water quality and like fish species and stuff like that. Have y'all seen any like uh, 
change in fish almost running from the water quality down south and migrating north to where the water is cleaner no that's that's hard to say because um a lot of fish their natural migration is from south to north during the spring and summer um the tarpon migrate up here your triple tail are migrating up here um most of it is because of our bait um so we get all we get all the menhaden the pogies um that congregate off our beaches around the Apalachicola River, Caribel River, stuff like that. Um, um, most of those fish are already migrating up here uh, for that to feed so they can uh, produce body fat, so they can make eggs, so they can spawn, and that, that sort of thing. You know, if we started seeing more snook... That's what I was know, kind of referring started, to. Is I, I know y'all don't get a lot of snook up there. No, I've only ever seen two up here in my whole life. Um, now I know I've heard some old timers catching some here and there, some guys, but I've only ever seen two in our waters. Um, if we started seeing more snook, you know, maybe some more juvenile tarpon, or maybe even permit or something, you know, bonefish, which is it's too too cold for bonefish, but. The snook would be a big thing. If, if we started seeing more of them, I would say maybe they're trying to escape some of that nasty water. Um, they say with this global warming or warming trend of our climate that we'll start seeing more snook anyway because of our, our on average, above average water temps every year. Um, but as of right now, I, I wouldn't say the fish are leaving other areas because of the water quality to come up here. Not that I've seen anyway. You don't have snook up there that much. And then we go and see snook and dang freshwater spring runs. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Now like I can go to Wakulla Springs over here and there's snook in that spring, but you go outside and fish Wakulla, you know, the mouth of the river or that, that whole Econvina area, you, you may catch one, you, more likely you're not. I mean, they just, for some reason, they're not, you know, very prevalent in that area. Now, I know Steen Hatchie, um, which is only three hours from us, in the last two years, my buddy's down there saying their snook population has increased like three times. And that's, they said they used to see one or two every now and then. Now they can go catch them. Like there's schools of snook hanging out around there and so that that may tell you right there that they're slowly migrating northward so it sounds like they're coming that, for you i hope they do man if we had snook and permit in our waters i would never leave <laughs> i would literally never come off the water if we had those that is two incredible fish i love to catch some snook yeah they are when they when a snook decides to eat a bait it is one of the most aggressive, unbelievable eats you'll ever witness. It is awesome. I got some buddies down south that catch some monsters. But they seem yeah. to always, it, like anytime I see them catching monster snook, they're fishing at night. At night, probably around bridges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fishing yeah, at that's, night. That's, that's a different animal. When you get a 40-inch snook, that's a different animal. That's that's a. have hooked a couple, and they broke me off every time. My biggest is like 36, but them 40 inches, man, that's, that's an impressive fish. Shoot. Yeah. So what, I mean, we talked about your favorite 
fish to guide. If you're going to go fish for yourself, what is your favorite fish? Like just to catch? Yeah. Oh, golly. There's so many. Um, like if I'm, if I'm one, you know, if I want to go catch a fish to eat, I'm going to target pompano, um, you know, a triple tail. I'll, I'll keep a, you know, a nice 18, 19 inch triple tail to eat. Um, really and truly it's anything I can sight fish. Like if I get sunshine, you know, and it's a, whatever time of year, if it's the winter time, it's going to be, I'm trying to sight fish big bull reds, you know, on the beach and stuff like that. Cause pretty much everything else we got is gone. If it's the springtime, you know, April to first of April to like mid May, I'm going to be on the beach. I'm going to have a pompano jig rigged up, a jig for a redfish, and then a cobia jig rigged up. Um, and that's one reason I went to the, you know, a tower in my boat is just anything I can sight fish. If I can see a fish watching me to bait, I don't really care what it is, man. That's just, it's just something cool. That's one of those but, things, uh, that, something that you brought up, uh, fishing bull reds from the beach made me think about the fact that you know, we have listeners that aren't in the state of Florida. And I think, you know, when a lot of people think about going to the beach in Florida, they think of beaches on the Atlantic coast, like Daytona, Destin, and places like that. But the big difference you get East coast to West coast beach wise is that when you go to the West coast, you don't have waves like you do yeah. on the East coast. So you can yeah. stand there on the beach and look out over, relatively calm flat water and it's a lot shallower or it doesn't drop as fast in some places oh yeah yeah they the, the the gulf side beaches are known for great fishing um, especially up here in this area there's there's some a lot of the beaches are getting too populated um, but there's still some areas that you know are protected that can't be developed in certain times of year Man, just just getting up high and cruising real slow down the beach can be very very productive. You got redfish, pompano, big jacks, cobia, tarpon. You know all kinds of mackerels. I've I've sight fish king mackerel on the beach before. I mean it's it can be it can be a lot of fun. But that that's my favorite thing to do. Anytime the sun's out and I can see fish, that's that's what I like to do. I don't really care what it is, but yeah, I, I'd say, like, uh, freshwater fishing, because we live in central Florida, so there's, you know, a lot of people that freshwater fish around here, but I took William a few years back to really do some sight fishing, and he was like, oh, was my me gosh. And Briar, me and Briar both. Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, my gosh, this is different. I'm like, I'm I'm telling you, don't even, I don't even personally have to fish just to be able to stand up there and push-pull around in the flats and watch a fish eat a bait. It's cool, man. It's it's just like I love watching a fish's behavior. Like you, when, like a redfish, when he sees a bait and he knows he can get it, like it's like a dog with a toy. Like you see them get excited. You see their gills flare, their fins like spread out, their tail flick. Like it's just that drives me. Like when you see a fish like get excited about he's about to eat something, like it's just cool. Like I, a lot of times I'll. I'll take just a jig. I'll I'll break the hook off, 
and just have a jig head with the jig, the grub on it or whatever, soft plastic with no hook and just feed them and not hook them. Just watch them eat it, come tight, let them spit it out, keep going. Like that's my favorite part is just watching them, their, their body language. And that's really how I learned a lot is just watching, being on a push pole, watching fish react and how they, you know, change your behavior or, or, you know, what they do with certain conditions or certain baits. That's, it's so intriguing to me. It still is every day. Just watching the body language of a fish is, is my favorite part of it all. So, I think, I think the, the sight fishing really kind of helps, uh, tie a hunter into uh, fishing as well. That's it, what I was about to say. It, I, it, you absolutely. Put the spotting stock on a fish. I can't. Absolutely. I, there, I say that all the time sitting there blind casting uh you know thinking well that that lily pad there's got to be some bass sitting over there or something like that i'm not a big fisherman i can fish for a while but the fish aren't biting doing that i get bored with it and i'm ready to just wander off to the woods or wherever i'm at but sight fishing i go around all day looking for fish finding fish cast at three or four fish and catch nothing and still feel good and enjoy the entire day Yep. fishing because you're literally out you're on the prowl you're stalking fish down trying to find fish get in the right angle and then cast on them to try and get them to bite yep absolutely it's, everything's got to line up just right i tell you talk about your tower boat but one thing i can't never hear my dad shut up about is uh your little predator oh yeah and they don't make them yep. anymore I, either they do not no i've they made i think eight Eight or nine of them. I got the fourth one they ever made. Um, I love it. That is a that's a neat neat little boat, man. I had a trip in it day four yesterday. We were in six inches of water catching redfish. <laughs> yeah, I, if I'd have had some people that could cast, I loved I love the people I had. They've been fishing me a long time, but they wanted to do something different. We went. First of all, they forgot sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, sunglasses? so. Sight fishing without sunglasses is pretty tough. Yeah. Um, and if I'd have had someone who could accurately cast with sunglasses, we could have caught 40 or 50. They were everywhere and they were, they were eating. I literally, the lady, I had one, the lady on the boat was standing there holding her rod out. And I, and I was like, ma'am, or Miss Janet said, Miss Janet, Lower your rod in the water. She was like, what? I was like, just lower your rod until your bait's in the water. I had a redfish creeping right down the side of the boat. And uh, she's like, what do you mean? I was like, just lower your rod, please. Put your bait in the water. She lowered it down. I was like, all right, move it. And she just jiggled her, and the fish almost jumped out of the water to eat her lure right next to the boat. Scared her to death. <laughs> she about fell out. She missed the hook set. And... It's things like that, man. That's that's my favorite. But that little boat, I love it, man. Like it. I'll I'm say ready. That, like I'm I'm ready for the big boat to be put up for the year and be in that little boat over there. If him talking about missing the hooks, that reminds me of one thing I hear the most when I'm fished with him is, I can tell you're a bass fisherman. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Drop step and get ready. <laughs> A fish better hang on then. If you put them in the That's boat right. on the hook set, then With I mean redfish, you can do that too. Trout, 
you can't do that too. But a redfish, when you when you know he's got it, you can jack him up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> give him the old heave ho. Yeah, because he's going yep. down with his nose. Yeah, you can give him yep. the old bill oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> set so hard you throw your seat out of the boat. There you go. <laughs> oh man! So what? Uh, I say, tell me the story of the worst fishing trip you've ever had. Ooh, um. Well, I don't know. There's been a bunch of bad ones and a bunch of good ones. The uh, the very first paid charter I ever took was probably one of the most uncomfortable situations I've ever been in. I uh, when I first started guiding, I was strictly artificial, um, you know, redfish and tarpon. It was redfish during spring and fall, tarpon during the summer, <clears throat> which one reason why I quickly got out of that. But uh, first pay charter guy, or not my first pay charter, my first tarpon trip of that season, of my first season in business. Old, older fella called me, talked to him, we met up, we get on the boat, we, we ride out to the, the beach. <clears throat> and I told him to begin with, you know, the morning bite's gonna be a little slow, the tide's not right, and the tide switches. Um, a little bit later, these fish are going to start swimming. You know, we just hope the wind doesn't run us off or whatever before that happens. And we sat there about an hour and we saw one fish. Um, I can hear him mumbling a little bit. And we sat there 20, 30 more minutes, didn't see anything. I could hear him say, ah, this is in a good spot. This is in a good spot. And I was like, sir, be patient. You know, I told you, we're going to sit here a little while. We may get a couple shots till they start swimming. I just, I just don't have a good feeling. I don't think you know what you're doing. And I was like, excuse me? He goes, yeah, I just, I don't know. We ain't seen nothing. I just, I think you, you don't know what you're doing. And I reached down, I pulled my keys out of the ignition. And I said, sir, and he turned around. I threw him and hit him in the chest with him. I said, take us where you want to go. He said, I, well, I don't know these waters. I said, exactly. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Stand there on that bow. <laughs> and do what I tell you. And sorry for my language. If, but no, I you're really right. that and uh, I mean, I was 22 at the time. You know, I was young, hothead. But uh, I said, just stand there. They will swim and you'll see them. You'll catch them. He goes, well, son, you can't talk to me that way. I said, sir, I don't mean any disrespect, but this little piece of fiberglass you're standing on is my world. I'm in charge said, you're not. You're paying me to be in charge. So do what I ask and stand up there and wait. I was like, I don't care how much money you make, how many people you got working for you, what you do on your day-to-day, but I'm in charge right now. And in six hours, when we get back to the dock, you'll be back in charge. He's like, well, okay. And another hour went by, and the fish started dumping. I mean, we probably saw 500 fish in the next four hours. He could not make a cast. He could not throw a fly in front of any fish. And he's like, man, these fish aren't biting. He's, I'm like, sir, you've got to get the fly in the right spot. When I tell you, where I tell you, it's got to be there. No, nah, no, nah, these fish aren't biting. So I literally walked up, grabbed his fly rod. The next fish that swam down 
threw the fly out there, hooked it, jumped it, broke him off, slammed the rod in his chest and said, it ain't the fish, sir. It's you. <laughs> and he was like, he, he just like shut up after that. I retied another fly on. He ended up feeding a fish, got one jump, broke him off. And I was like, all right, our day's done. <laughs> Went back to the dock. He handed me the money. He said, son, I got a lot of respect for you, but I will never fish with you again. And I was like, all right. Whatever, and that, man. And that's how he got his first bad Google review. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's it, man. But, like, since then, you know, when I, like, started thinking, I'm like, golly, if this is what tarpon guidance is all about, then I don't want anything to do with it. And I, it didn't take me long. I was not going to be a tarpon guide anymore because the clientele you get is – is, and I've got some great guys who, have, who still tarpon fish with me today. But – most of them are upper echelon, you know, big business kind of guys. They get tons of money. You know, they've been all over the world. They've caught tarpon. Like, they don't – it's not exciting to them. Like, they don't get the pleasure of catching one anymore. They just want to do it, you know, or whatever. It's just what my kind of feel. Um, but, yeah, that was probably the, the – the, not the worst one. But one of the most uncomfortable ones I've been with. But I've I've had people who literally been on the boat, be on the boat for five hours and say one word all day long. <laughs> and those people drive me nuts. That's got to be awkward. <laughs> that it is like we'll be in the middle of five hundred redfish and they're chewing the corks off the lines, and they don't say a word. They don't act excited, and I'm just like, yeah, I. I can't deal with these people. Like I need some enthusiasm. Tell me you hate me. Tell me you're having a miserable time. Just talk, say something. <laughs> I've only fished yeah. with a couple guides in, in my life. And, and the, the fun thing with fishing with you is you're, you're teaching as we're fishing. Um, and if, if somebody can't learn something from you fishing with you, then there's just no teaching them. Uh, you're, you're, uh, your way you talk, the way you fish, the way you teach, it's just, it's, it's relaxing. It's fun. Um, and if, if somebody doesn't have a good time with you, then they're not going to have a good time with anybody. That shouldn't be fishing. Well, I, I really, I really appreciate that, Mr. Bill. That means a lot. Thank you very uh, much. I, earlier me. when I said that he was smart and that, that's what I mean, it's, he teaches you something. Not only do you learn about the fish, but you know, like you said, uh, your, your biology degree taught you a lot about the water. So you, mm-hmm. you learn a, a lot about the water itself, not just the fish. Well, I appreciate that. We didn't really go up do, there. This, we didn't go up there this year. My wife is very disappointed that we, that we didn't Oh man, I knew I knew yeah. I didn't hear from y'all this no, year. We didn't, we didn't we made it through there in March. We came back from Panama City Jeep Jam, but we didn't we didn't stay anywhere and we just didn't make it up that way. And she's just I miss our trip to up to Panhandle. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, this, this year was this year was uh, some good fishing, man. The weather for for probably in the last three years, this weather, this whole year was what it should be. We had a spring. The spring weather was like it was. The summer pattern was pretty predictable and and nice all summer long. You know, we'd have a beautiful morning, hot. Then by two o'clock, it would rain. And, you know, then it'd be done. Then it'd be hot again. But it, you had beautiful mornings, and then fall is like, 
exactly what I remember as a kid, what the fall fishing was supposed to be like right now. It's, it's been a, it's been a very, very good year. I keep telling these boys, we need to make it up there and do uh one of your special cast and blasts. Come on, man. So I think we're actually, it. I got a, I got another, I got another buddy of mine this year that kind of wants to do, um, some guy and he got it up in South Carolina for a few years and now he lives down here and he wants to kind of get into, you know, doing some duck guides. So, well, you know, we can have two boats uh, this year, you know, and have a, have a good group. If y'all want to come do it, that could be fun. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'd love to actually, not that it's necessarily needed, but I'd love to actually bring my boat too. I just, I've never ran my boat up there. I know there's no, really no need for a mud motor up there, but I just like to have my boat there. Yeah. Now, if we hunt St. Joe Bay, the mud motor wouldn't do you any good. But uh, like Indian Pass over there, where, where I do most of my hunting, that a mud motor could work because a lot of times in the mornings we have negative tides and there's some areas where you need to slide in pretty shallow, um, you know, to get. And then as the water comes in, that's that's kind of like the perfect scenario, you know, blasting cast is negative tide. You want to hunt in the morning, let the water kind of creep in a little bit, sun get up and then fish the afternoon. And diver hunting, you can always use another boat. There's yeah. tons of decoys and, and palm fronds and shit you got to carry out. You know, normally when I used to do it by myself, I'd make three trips, mm. you know, back and forth, back and forth, carrying people and, and supplies and all that. So having extra boats is always helpful. Yeah, I, I diver hunted last year with a buddy kind of up towards the Big Bend area, and he, he lives up that way. And uh, it was, we took two boats, used his boat and my boat, and it was, I'd never diver hunted before. or I mean, I've diver hunted, but not in the salt water. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was absolutely insane to me. I mean, where we were hunting, as soon as the boats left that little inlet area, it was like, the sky just turned black with ducks. Like your tournament boat, your tournament fishing boats left out, and the sky there were just ducks everywhere. It was unlike anything yep. I've ever seen. Yeah, when you get on a good one, man, you, you're you're decoying, you know, five hundred to a thousand ducks at one time. It's it can be pretty exciting. Now, granted, I swear my gun barrel was bent or something because I could anything couldn't hit anything to save my life. But <laughs> well, you get so used Point to shooting shoot. passing ducks, it's kind of hard to shoot them with their feet down. <laughs> divers are tough, man. Divers, I'll tell you, divers can take a lick. I mean, yeah. you got to square one up. They can really take some daggum pellets and, and keep moving. That's they're, the they're thing. Tough birds. You, you got to waste three shells on one bird just to get him to drop. Yeah. Well, you can only kill two, two redheads. So yeah. You know, Half a box of shells, you get your limit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me dove hunting. Yeah. Except for I ain't yeah. getting no limit. Just shooting two boxes of shells. We're actually headed well, up to... You didn't go on that dove hunt with me and Jordan, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky to shoot half a box. <laughs> well, yeah, we're actually headed up to North Carolina next month. Yeah. yeah. Go up there and shoot Heck some yeah. Hopefully it's cold. So. I hope D-ducks, so. D-ducks, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to plan a trip up to the East Coast and kill some eiders and and some long tails and stuff like that. Some some species I <clears throat> I don't quite have. I'm, over the last two three years, I've kind of gotten away from just trying to kill as many ducks as I can, um, and I'm really trying to hone in on on taking you know full plumage drake you know of, of every species. And I've got nine at the taxidermy 
taxidermist right now, and I've got probably 20 on the wall in here. Jeez. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm slowly inching there, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to put together some trips where I can go kill some different species. We got go. You might be a redneck if your taxidermy's bill more than your house payment. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Last year alone, last year alone, I had a $3,300 taxidermy bill and just ducks. Just ducks. My buddy, my buddy, uh, Brad up in, Dawson, Georgia, H and H Taxidermy. He is, he does the best work when it comes to birds. They Sounds are like beautiful. They look like, too. Yeah, man, he does. He does great deer too. But ducks, the pride he takes in ducks and turkeys is it's like you never even shot them. I mean, they are beautiful. The pintail he did for me is one of the prettiest work of arts I've ever seen with a duck. It's beautiful. So when he did that, I was like, yep. I know where my money's going now. I <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got lucky enough that we, uh, he's, he's been a buddy of mine for a little bit, but then he started listening to the podcast and he was like, hey, uh, I'm stationed up. He's in Marine Corps. He's like, I'm stationed up here in North Carolina now. And uh, he's, I've been here for a couple years, been doing sea duck hunting, finally got me a boat. He's like, y'all come up here and uh, rent your Airbnb. I'll put you on some sea ducks for free. And we we're like, Say less. Heck yeah. Coming, yeah. Can't Let's beat go. that. Yeah. Can't beat that at all, man. That's cool. So now tell me, what is uh, the funniest story you have from guiding fishing trips? Oh, man. Oh, that's going to take a while. <laughs> um, fishing trips, hunting trips, guiding in general, I should say. Man, I've had some crazy things happen. I've got a... I've got an, an old man that fishes with me, Mr. Walter. Um, he's an old black man. I love him to death. He is, he is one of those people that they, good Lord, just didn't make enough of, man. He's got a heart of gold. The man loves to fish, absolutely loves to fish, and wears his life jacket the entire time on the boat. From the time he gets on to the time he gets off, never takes it off. Can't swim. Loves going offshore. Um, I've got some pretty epic trips with him. Something crazy always seems to happen. We uh, we caught, I think, like the first trip, second trip he ever booked with me. I had a double that day. And me and him, we got on the boat. He was my morning trip. We get out 7 in the morning. We catch his limit of five trout real quick. We pull up. He catches a a uh, nice big triple tail to keep. He's like, all right, I'm done. I was like, what do you mean you're done? He goes, oh, this is plenty enough fish for me. I'm good, man. You can take me back to the dock. I was like, it's 830. He goes, yeah, you got another trip. Call them and take them out. I was like, Walter, no, you got, he goes, nope, I'm done. Take me back to the dock. <laughs> all right. Took him back to the dock, cleaned the fish, called my people, said, y'all come on, ran that trip, you know, but, uh, and then another one, we uh, had Walter triple tail fishing, and he just he threw up to a, a, a buoy, hooked a big one, wraps around the buoy like three times, and I told him to hang on. I crunked the boat up and drove a big circle around the freaking buoy three times, got the fish off. It ended up being like 18 pounds, 18 and a half pounds. And I was like, 
Walter, take a picture. You're never going to catch another one that big. You know, that's a fish of a lifetime. He's like, yeah. So we took a picture. And then as I'm like getting things ready to move on, he puts another bait on and throws up that same buoy. And I was like, Walter, we just, you just caught a big one. And I just spun circles around that thing. There's not a fish there. He's like, well, I just want to see. Lo and behold, he gets a bite. He catches that fish. It's 21 pounds. Good Lord. 21 pound triple tail right after we literally just did donuts around this buoy. And I mean, mudded it all up, tangled all around it. And he catches another even bigger one right off of that. And it's those, those type of stories are funny to me and, and very memorable. Um, and I've got many more with Walter. Something crazy always seems to happen with that guy, but he is, he's a, he's a, he's a gem. He is one of my favorite clients and I look forward to our trips every day. <clears throat> he's just got but, uh, that luck. Yeah. <laughs> he does, man. He does. He is. It's life He's jacket. one of those guys. Like he That's doesn't care is. if we catch a fish. He don't care if we catch a fish all day long. Like he'll just go and sit on the boat and watch a bobber all day long. He doesn't care. But something crazy always happens with him. Well, um, I got a good story. When my last trip, when we came back from Indian Pass, the last time we fished with you, and we came back home, we pulled in the driveway. Everything good. I roll up the garage door. TC says, something smells funny. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I mind you, why. he don't have I can't no sense smell. smell yeah. I can't smell, so I, I couldn't smell nothing. Open up the garage door, walk in, and when we had left to come up there, I had got some meat out of the freezer and didn't Ooh. push the door closed far enough. <laughs> gone oh, for a week. Gone for a that, week. It was hot. It was July. That garage, was, the whole house. Everything in that freezer was gone. Oh, the God. Flies, yeah, that's the smell. Oh, the flies. My air conditioner is about 10 feet away from the freezer, so you can just imagine the whole house. And I lost everything in that freezer, and she wanted me to throw the freezer out, and I'm thinking, it's brand new. There's nothing. Can't, it can't be that. <laughs> I couldn't smell She says, you can't smell it. I says, I can't smell nothing. She says, be thankful you can't smell. So you know who got to clean the freezer out. Yeah. <laughs> and I, had, I had a oh Lord. I had an experience like that. Um one year I went to Colorado. I was gone for three weeks. And I came back, my bait freezer where I keep all my frozen oh, poses and all my frozen Ooh. bait for my snapper trips and stuff. It had gone out. Uh, my roommate at the time didn't call me and tell me. He let it sit here outside in my shed which is right by the boat he let it he said i smelt something but i didn't want to know what it was it sat there for three weeks while i was gone with all that bait frozen dead fish in that thing you talk about a smell you can't get rid of and then you went into the catfish exactly, bait I know, business. Yeah. <laughs> oh, i know exactly what you mean mr bill that i can still walk in the backyard and, and have PTSD of that Well, the whole like house smelled like it. She, we've called somebody that cleans up crime scenes. And, and I mean, sprinkling baking soda, everything, and through the house, the carpets, and she said, just open up the house and run the air conditioner. I had dryer sheets up in the vents, everything, trying yeah. to get that smell out of the house. Lucky, Luckily, mine was outside, but I took caulk. I, I closed the freezer. I caulked the door shut, covered it, and and uh, a tarp and duct tape, like four whole rolls of duct tape around it, <laughs> and put it in my trailer and took it to the dump. And the 
the guys that dump are like, what's that? I was like, just let me dump it and do not open it. Do not look in it. <laughs> Trust me. You don't want to. He's like, is it a body? I was like, no, but it's a bunch of dead stuff that you don't want to know. And, uh, yeah, it was bad. I know all too well. Is it a body? <laughs> only, <laughs> only in a small town can you get away with that. It's not a body. Yeah. It's dead. Don't open it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they knew the they, can. they they knew what I did, and I was like, yeah, it's just a bunch of dead fish, so don't don't open it. <laughs> but you're all right. I mean, I could have had a body in there, and they never would have looked in yeah. it. Yeah. I I tell you that just as small as that area is, I tell people all the time, it's like it's it is so small that uh, I can't. There was an older gentleman, the uh, the hot air balloon guy. I can't remember his name. Earl. Earl, yeah. Earl Miller. I, I tell people all the time, like the stories I heard from Earl, and I even remember one night we were up at the Raw Barn. We were up late. I mean, they were closed, and every ball, the locals, everybody was still hanging out. We were still hanging out, and uh, Earl had to drive his golf cart back home, and I remember the sheriff's deputy followed earl back to his house because earl had been drinking too much and he didn't want earl to drive back he wanted to make sure earl made it home safe yep (laughs) that is that's that small town stuff right there that's life at indian pass right there man you're not gonna tell your story about jimmy are you jordan no well (laughs) well now you got to yeah so we were uh we had been up at the raw bar and then earl's like let's go back to the house so we head back to earl's house and we're hanging out in his little indoor pool area there where his bar and yep, everything pool was house. and uh jimmy had come up after the bar and everything closed and uh jimmy goes in there to the pool and earl's i ain't, i hadn't seen earl's pool yet we said don't go in there because jimmy likes to swim naked and uh for some reason i guess i had been drinking enough or something to not hear what earl said <laughs> and uh walked in there to the pool area and jimmy was backing down into the pool butt naked and, <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I'm scarred for life. Yeah, I, I, I can be right there with you. I've known that man my entire life. Jimmy was like a second father to me, and unfortunately, I have seen that very same thing. <laughs> unfortunately, I have, and that is not a pleasant sight. But we, you talk about some good times at that pool house. I grew up, I grew up four four doors down from that from Earl. And I mean, they've, they've known my family forever, man. That's we, there are some times at that pool house that I cannot repeat <laughs> on, on this thing, but we've had some good times, um, down there at Earl's that past crew, man. That's, that was some, some good folks down there. Earl was one of the most I, genuine people I'd ever met in my life. I'd absolutely. It, it sounds like that, that community lost quite a patriarch when he passed. He, yes. He was, he was. The man had more money than sense, and he loved to share it with everybody. And uh, he did. He did a good job of treating all the, the the locals. If you were a local, he took care of everybody. And if if you were visiting and good folks, good-hearted people visiting, he would let you right in and, and do anything for you. Yeah, I was going to say, I tell people all the time, we get to talk, and I even said it on the last podcast, we could talk about sea turtles, and they were talking about how good they eat. I remember Earl told me one time, he said, you know, I donate a lot of money to those sea turtle people. He said, you know why I do it? I said, why? He said, because I figure if I donate enough money, I can eat them again one day. <laughs> <laughs> they come with their own bowl, man. Yeah. <laughs> they their own bowl. They're, 
design to get eaten. Yeah. Oh man. Well, Jordan, Don't I know that. that's coming from a marine biologist. <laughs> Jordan, we didn't warn you, but at the end of every episode, we do a tip of the week. And I think we tip come of the week time. Jordan, where are we sitting at time wise? An hour and twenty four minutes. Yeah, we can do a tip of the week. So we can go ahead and uh, go first, give you a second to think of something fishing, hunting related, or just outdoors related in general. I got it right now. Oh, well, go ahead with it because I ain't got nothing. Don't don't forget to put your plug in. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've used that one. William's done that on my boat before. We, uh, I was at work one morning and he was at home on leave from the, uh, from the army. And he was like, Hey, you care if I take your boat fishing tomorrow? And I'm like, no, I don't mind. I'm driving into work. It's what? Maybe five thirty, six o'clock. Yeah, six, six thirty, something like that. Yeah. Well he calls me and he's like, Hey, where's the uh where you put the plug in this boat? And I said, It's right it was an old uh, grizzly tracker. And I said, Well, it's right there in the middle underneath where the motor is. He said, All right, cool, cause uh the the water's about over top of the battery. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Do what? I said, put the plug in. He gets it in, he's like, Well, I guess I'm just gonna uh probably take off and pulled again drain it out i said where are you at he's like oh, i'm still sitting here at the dock i'm at the ramp i had to even... put the damn trailer back in the water put the boat on the trailer and pull the plug on the boat he's like oh yeah, that's not a bad idea you know probably would have probably helped me to leave the water in there so i could get that boat to plane out just get the water to the, of the boat the boat never yeah it never hurt for me if you have owned a boat long enough or used a boat long enough you forget to put the plug in everybody's done it Oh, I don't yeah. care who you are. You I gotta figure a... out how to keep mine in. Me and Briar were duck scouting one day, and uh, we had finished up running from one spot to another. We're kind of sitting there talking, and I looked back, and there was some white sand in my boat, and I was like, "Man, that doesn't look normal." That is what it is. And I looked back in, I was like, "I don't know." And I reached out past the back of my hunt deck and felt where my plug should be, and my finger went in the hole. Uh, I said, I got to go now. <laughs> See the dog in my boat. and <laughs> Yeah, hauled butt, blew no wake zones, <laughs> hauled butt back to the ramp, got my boat to the ramp, and uh, got out of the boat, turned around, and set the back of the boat on the ramp so that it wasn't going to take on any more water. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We've all had scares. I've had plenty of those. Live well hose busting, boat taking on water as you're getting back, all that. But always remember the plug. Most important part. I don't care how expensive that boat is. That plug is the most important part. In it. <laughs> I'm going to say crank it the night before. Or crank it before you go out. Before you ever leave the house. Just yep. crank it. Make sure it cranks. Who told yeah. you that? So you don't get oh, so that... you don't get to the boat ramp and you're holding up 400 people behind you because your boat won't crank in the boat ramp. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, of course I say that. Me and Briar had, had cranked it before we left. Got yeah. there, knew it cranked. Did we crank it before we even put it in the water at one point? Early yeah, in the morning? I think yeah. we cranked it there at the ramp. At the gas station. We cranked it, there. yeah, put it in the water, wouldn't crank. <laughs> Jordan, how many times have you heard that? That was Jordan's we, boat. That was yeah. my boat, yeah. I know, but how many times have you heard that? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I, admittedly, I've, thankfully, I've gotten to the ramp and it's still cranked, but I've done it where I get to crank it the night before or whatever. Or I'm like, oh man, it's too late to crank the boat now. Waking the neighbors up and everything. But 
Luckily, I've got to the ramp and it's cranked up. Another good one to remember is make sure that little thing is up underneath the kill switch all the way because it won't yeah. turn. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I had a an old Carolina. That's a good one. Yeah, I had an old Carolina skiff where the kill switch was up underneath the center console, and uh, I drug it about an hour and a half to go fishing. Wouldn't crank, wouldn't crank, wouldn't crank. My buddy's like, it's time to go home. I said, no. I said, I ain't driving an hour and a half back home. I got a trolling motor for a reason. So we threw it off the front of the boat, trolled all day long. And uh, luckily, my dad was where we were, and he pulled us back in. But the boat sat for a while, and then somebody came over and was like, did y'all check the kill switch? And I was like, no. Nope. <laughs> well, it was on. It just wasn't up far enough yeah. for it to... Yep, that thing's got to be pulled yeah. out just We enough. did not. Hooked it up to the hose, pushed the kill switch all the way in, fired right up. <laughs> Boy, I carry an extra kill switch for my 9.9 because I've gotten there to the ramp and gone, where's my kill switch? Because I pulled it out for some reason or another, leaving it probably parked in the side yard. Uh, my old house, but now I keep one. There's a kill switch in my blind bag. It's a universal, so it's got anybody. It should fit any kill switch you can come across. And then the one for the boat stays with the boat. That's a good tip. Have an extra yeah. one. Yeah. I only have an extra one because I thought I lost my original one for the longest time. Couldn't find it. And then one duck season, I put my jacket on and I stuck my hands in my pocket. And I went, what the hell's that? Kill switch. <laughs> oh, It was gone got, for about a year. <laughs> I got my tip of the week. Always have an extra boat plug. Yeah. I keep one, uh, rather than a screw-in plug in the Yeti, I got a boat plug in there. Yeah. Shotgun yep. shot wrapped with duct tape works, too. Yeah, done it. <laughs> yeah, you can always you can always jerry-rig a, a plug if need be. But that that's a, duck like you're talking about, that's a great place to keep a boat plug. If you need an extra one, take that plug out of the Yeti or your cooler or whatever and shove a boat plug in there and tighten it down. And it, yep. it's better to let the ice drain and melt all over the place and not have your boat plug. Yeah. Because it's easy That's to right. take it out of the house and not think about it, set it somewhere, drive off, get to the ramp, go to put it in. You don't have it anymore. Or you leave it sitting on the back of the boat mm-hmm. and drive off and lose it on the highway. I, that, I lose. Yeah. Now I, I make sure all my plugs are the inserts. So you just unscrew and they stay in there. You know, they got little, yeah. the little prongs that kind of hold them in there. Because I was so bad about pulling out, sitting on the back of the boat. Next morning, take off, get to the ramp. Plug fell off. I, I did that for forever. So now, as soon as I get it, I'll pop that thing out, put one of those, those inserts in there where you screw it down tight. It just stays in there. Yeah. Or I'll lose it. Used to be where you'd walk in the local bait store and he goes, plug again? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, I had a box of them. Jordan, what do you got? Oh, man. Oh, I got one for you. Uh, make sure, uh, hunting season's already started, but uh, go ahead, especially if you're hunting here in Florida, invest in uh, some permethrin. Oh, it's going to be here on Monday. <laughs> yeah. Me and William went out scouting on Sunday and uh, both got completely inundated in some seed ticks. Yeah, that's not the word really? of it. I got, I got so ate up with chiggers, I look like I got chicken pox. Mm-hmm. My no entire kidding. body's covered. My wife told me, I was scratching my leg this afternoon, and she says, 
you were scratching so much last night. She said, I swear, I was laying in her bed. I said, if he scratches one more time, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, I guess you had some, you, you gave me a little grace. I said, because I'm still here, and I know I scratched again. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I was in the gas station the other day, and I found myself, I was like scratching my belly and my back and stuff. I'm like, I got to stop. I look like I'm a crackhead in here, man. <laughs> We don't have them that bad up here right now. I put I put so much Benadryl cream on the other night that it it made me drowsy, knocked me out. Son. Damn. <laughs> it uh, I'm I'm pretty rough. I'm looking at my leg now, and it's I mean just straight covered in chicken bites. My stomach, my back, my shoulders, everything. They don't they don't bite me too bad. They don't like my old salty salty blood or whatever yeah. salty skin. <laughs> Probably this sunburn enough. Probably like chewing through leather. But yeah, I went and uh, ordered ten percent permethrin, so I'm going to dilute that down and soak some hunting clothes in it, and then make some spray for reapplication later on. But another thing, permethrin is great. Do not put it on your skin. Mm-mm. You spray it on your clothes and let it dry, and then you put your clothes on. You don't spray it on your clothes when you're wearing it, you know, because permethrin is not like a bug spray that you put on. It keeps the bugs away. It's a kill on contact. So when they land on your clothes uh-huh. and you're soaked in permethrin, it'll kill them. If you soak them in permethrin, they should last. It says it lasts for 50 washes. I'd give it about 10 max. Yeah. But it, it's it's a kill on contact. So you could also do the same thing, like spray down a tent if you're going to go camping. Keep Help keep mosquitoes out. Spray it on the inside and outside of a tent. It'll help keep your mosquitoes down and everything else, too. No kidding. That's, I like that. Yeah, that's what they spray cattle about, and stuff with. For, what about yeah. yellow flies? Does it take care of yellow flies? It should do the same. All right. They bite when they land, as soon as they land on you. Them suckers well, you are might not, You might not get that lucky then. Yeah. But of they'll, course, like yeah, I said, you can't com- spray it on your... You can't they'll spray it on your... They'll, they'll light on you with bug spray and bite you and then die. Like, they yeah. know they're going to die. <laughs> you, can't, you can't spray... Well, you could, but you really shouldn't spray permethrin directly on your skin. So, I'd, I'd say it wouldn't do much for yellow yeah. flies. they bite your open your exposed skin anyway. Yeah, well, got to die of something. <laughs> and if you got permethrin, you can always uh, reload your thermosel pads with it. That's what's in the thermosel pad. Yeah. Gotcha. So you can re-soak them pads in it and make new thermosel pads. Why do we hunt and fish when all this bugs and <laughs> ticks and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People got to go... They got to look at you and go, are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Because most times what we do. It's an addiction. Yeah, Yeah. I was gonna say, like like Jordan said earlier, it's just when you were talking about fly fishing. There's just something about whether I kill something or not. There's something about the serenity of being there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. If if I if I could not hunt or fish, I would hurt people. (laughs) (laughs) I would would be so. I'm already kind of high strung. You know, I've always got to have something to do and. But if I couldn't do that and, and ease my mind and be at peace, it just calms everything about me. I would be, I'd either be just miserable to be around or, or probably hurt people. It, it just, it's what keeps me level yeah. in this world. I have to do it. I that, can't not, not do it. That was the whole reason we went scouting last Sunday. William called, he's like, son, I've been so stressed with work. He's like, I got to get out of the house. Yeah, let's the go to the woods. woods. I got to get yeah. out of the house. Exactly. It's it's what we're supposed to do. I mean, yep. it's what we're, you know, it's what we were born and bred to do. You got a tip, Dad? I might have to pass this week. 
Well, well I, I thought know. you gave one a minute ago. There was something you said. Something I don't remember what it was. So I, I intentionally <laughs> make sure over. your freezer's closed when you leave. There you, <laughs> go. <laughs> there you go. Hey, you can. On top of that, you can invest in those alarms now. The Bluetooth alarms. It'll sit there and alert your phone when it drops below a certain temperature. I didn't even know they had those. Oh yeah, yeah. dude. I need to get one for mine because my kids will get out there and just oh look at that dial Whoop, turn it the other direction <laughs> and the freezer turns off better and now put it's one a cooler your bathroom sink then too yeah <laughs> and then it, you know that thaws everything out in the freezer i've come out there several times and it's plugged into a gfci plug as well so sometimes for some reason that plug will switch it'll, oh, it'll get flip. a plug on that one and uh then you know the freezer's turned off you don't even know it but you can get you can get plugs or uh, sensors that run on battery. It'll sit in there, and alert you when your freezer goes down to a certain temperature. So it's a solid investment. Absolutely, yeah. I don't think they're that expensive—twenty or thirty bucks on Amazon. I heard from somebody you're quite a softball player. Me? Yeah, I used to be back in the day. Brenton? I, uh, huh? You know Brenton? Yeah, I know Brenton. Yeah, he actually messaged me and said he met you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we uh we used to play play together. I could, I mean, you know, I was a a college baseball player, so I, I'd like to know I was a little good. <laughs> but uh, I love playing softball, man. I had so much fun. I just I got to where I couldn't play. I was always trying to play and then come back and fish and wake up at four in the morning. I was just hurting all the time. Couldn't body couldn't hold up anymore. Arm, I could barely lift my arm throw a net after playing two softball games so <laughs> y'all do had, much i had to give it up if they much, had dh uh, go ahead if they had a dh in softball i would still play but they don't <laughs> y'all do much cast netting for shrimp up there yep i caught uh today probably five half five gallon bucket full shoot yeah we we uh this. we've just recently got into it here and uh man that's a blast yeah it is yeah well, this time took- of year man this, the white shrimp are, are flowing out right now. If you can get on them, it's you can you can. I mean, like today, I threw twice and had a half a five gallon bucket, two Ziploc bags, slam full. Jeez, oh, I, we took uh, we took Briar for the first time this year. Just about every weekend after that, he's like, "Hey, you want to go shrimping?" <laughs> yeah. It's fun, and if you get them, you get them big ones, man. They are delicious. Nothing we like had fresh some dog. that were had to have been. Six, well, seven inches size. long. It yeah. Was yeah. As big, one you had was as big as your hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They are delicious when you catch them like that. So much better than store bought. Well, Jordan, before we let you go, tell everybody how they can find you and book a trip. Uh, Facebook or Instagram, you know, d- direct message, saltwater obsessions. Um, either one of those, I'll, I'll, you know, get back to you. But my, my preferred way is to give me a call. Um, my phone number is 850-227-6550. I love to talk, you know, to potential clients, gauge their level of expertise, you know, whether they're avid or beginners and throw artificials or fly or do I need to catch live bait, stuff like that. So I always prefer to talk to folks and, and kind of gauge what they want and, and what their level uh efficient is and then and then we'll go from there what'd you say your phone number was like i got eight five oh two two seven six five five zero six five five we'll put that in the podcast description i'll get all those links all on right. your facebook and instagram and your phone number that way they can find you when they're up in the indian pass area and and book a trip come yes, fishing with you. yes sir uh, that's what i do come on
Keep me in business. And if you're not following his Instagram, you're missing out. He's always posting some sweet pictures of fish yes. up there, too. I see that pop up all the time. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And what's I, that? I, I, try to, I try to woe back on the posting now just just for, uh, you know, trying to keep the, the secrets still secrets. But some some fish are hard not to share. Yeah. I understand that big old triple tail you posted the other day. Yeah, that was cool. That was a cool experience, man. We uh, So I finally got some um some help with trying to gather data on triple tail to actually be able to bring up to you know like fwc or or uh, mississippi dnr because every time you, you go to one of those entities and say hey you know we need to do this you know the regulations need to change they're like well we need numerical data to back any of this up and they don't care they're not going to go out and get it um, so the Mississippi, this guy, Eric is, is satellite tagging triple tail. And if you don't know, satellite tags only work on certain species because they have to come to the surface. So sharks, cobia, mahi sometimes. So, you know, tarpon, but triple tail falls into that because they, they float, they come up to the surface and float that you can actually get pings from a satellite tag so we tagged five triple tail all over 25 inches um lost a couple big ones and i have a few more tags to try to get before they leave and uh it's just cool man it's gonna be neat to really kind of get some some actual numerical data to see where these fish swim when they swim and, and how far they go i've been tagging them for 10 years i've, I've tagged over 2,000 with just the little site tags but as you know, as most people know, people catch them, they see them, they just throw them away. They don't call them in where right. they caught it. So you lose more than half of them. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what this this data is going to turn up. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, excited to see what you get out of that, that too. too. So that's another thing is if you're triple tail fishing and you catch a tag fish, call it in. Yeah. Call it yeah. in, man. Call, just if you're fishing anything, a number, you catch a tag fish. number yeah. on it. Yeah, there's a phone number with a tag number. Call it in. Tell them where you caught it, how big it is. You can kill it. You know, we'd hope you release it, record all that stuff. But if you kill it, just report it. You know, and it, it gives us a place of capture, recapture, and, and you can see how far they swam. You know, I've, I've tagged them here and had them caught off St. Augustine. You know, wow. That fish swam around the entire state of Florida. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that so is the neat. more the more we can get on that, the better. So thanks, Briar. Yeah, you catch a tag fish, call it in. Same thing goes. You kill a tag duck, or, you know, a with banded, a banded duck, duck or tagged anything. Exactly, it, they're tagged for a, a, per, a research purpose. Uh, exactly. So science is cool. Oh, absolutely. A lot of times, uh, like collar deer or whatever. Sometimes they will tell you not to kill a collar deer. FWC Every actually posted this year told you that they're... They they'll got, tell you if it... Yeah. They'll oh, put it out. Would, if you would if regularly... You, if they don't want you to kill it if it's uh, collared. If you would have shot the deer without the collar, don't just shoot the deer because it's collared. Yeah. But if you would have shot the deer without the collar, then have at it. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, Jordan, I thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Hopefully, we can get up there and get some fishing and hunting done with you here in the near future and... uh We'll have to break out another podcast then. Yeah, absolutely. Heck yeah, yeah, man. We can do it right here in the man cave. Hey, sounds great. We got to, we, we'll, 
pick this whole setup up and drag it up there. Cool. Heck yeah, man. I appreciate it, guys. Enjoy yep. it. Thank you for joining yeah, us. We appreciate Thank it. You. Have a good we'll one. We'll see you in 2020. Yes, sir. Sure. Come on. Come back.